0: Now, <clears throat> cardiovascular diagnostic and therapeutic procedure. I will begin with the diagnostic and therapeutic procedure for this cardiovascular system. Uh, this is the nursing care of clients who have cardiovascular disorders. We're talking about the nursing care for those individuals. And I will begin with the procedure because the procedures um, they are unique to this system. Um, so when a client has a problem, how can we diagnose? How can the clinician diagnose the client problem? So that diagnosis or those diagnoses are made through particular procedures. If you miss the client procedure that we help them to diagnose them, it's costly. The client will spend more money and the client cannot be diagnosed. The client will be mistreated. Sometimes we cannot even figure out the client's diagnosis. I know of a a guy, he he passed away. He came from Liberia on a vacation. When he got to the US, he had Lassa fever. Unfortunately, a lot of lab tests were ordered for him. Those lab tests came back negative. They kept trying to find out what was happening until he died. When he died, it was after his death they knew that he had typh- uh, Lysa fever. Now, because the symptoms were not picked up earlier, the impression of the clinician was missed. Um, so they kept ordering different lab tests that were not related to the client's condition. And the moment those, the moment the doctor had, res- had, had, had gone through all the tests and wanted to get the, the best test for him that, that matches his condition, it was late. So these things are very costly for clinicians. And if you as a nurse, you are farsighted, you work on the unit, you can help the doctor choose so many means, choose a lot of means. You can help the doctor and the doctor will have respect for those nurses on the unit that can always help him or help her out. So we have to know our portion because they will come in and they will do their portion and we have to be there to do our portion as nurses. And that's why these procedures are important. When it comes to the cardiovascular diagnostic procedure, um, we want to evaluate the function of the heart, monitoring of the heart, the, uh, the enzymes that control uh, that are formed within the body. We use um, different instruments to visualize the fused uh, and lungs, the fuse and chambers of the heart. We also look at the heart perfusion how blood with o2 is being sent out to the real body parts it depends on the heart capacity fluid status the heart also controls fluid status also it helps to pump blood and other nutrients to part of the body that would need it it also helps other when there is an artery uh, problem there's a blockage and a blockage in the artery This lab procedure, this diagnostic procedure can help us to diagnose those those, uh, those blockages and it can help us to know where they are. Then we can provide treatment for them promptly. This procedure will include, we'll look at the cardiac enzyme. Cardiac enzymes are important in that uh, when there is an increment in the cardiac enzyme, there is an indication of an illness or there's a problem in there. So sometimes when a, when a client has like myocardial infarction, when there is an infection, when there is an, when, when an angina occurring in the heart or around the heart area, there, there are other enzymes that are portion of the heart that can be increased. The heart has so many enzymes. You have the troponin, you have the myoglobin, you have those enzymes are all important in the heart or for the heart well-being. So you have to know the values of those enzymes that we're going to talk about then we will look at um we we'll look at the lipid profile in the cardiovascular system lipids play a major role in the cardiovascular function because lipids are fats the more they are included along the blood vessels way they cause what we call atherosclerosis and when this occurs, the energy at which the heart will use to pump blood will become in, will, will be increased. And any increase in the force to pump blood, it will has a it will have an effect on the heart, which can lead to other heart defect or other conditions like hypertension. So we have to look at this lipid profile, the triglyceride, the um the LDL, the, the low density, the, the, the high density, the HDL, the total cholesterol, these are things we have to look at, how hard they are, how hard they can be or how low they can be to cause problem for the body. Then we look at um, the echocardiogram, we look at like the EKG. How can we uh, look at EKG and what whether those strips are abnormal strips or they are normal strips. And if they are abnormal strips, uh, what are, what are the need medication, they need doctor intervention or they need just monitoring. We'll also look at it and be able to figure out those things. We'll look at um, angiography, cardio We'll look at um, vascular access devices. What, how can we use them? What are, how are they important in monitoring cardiovascular disorder in our surroundings? These are things we'll look at. I will begin with a uh, um, cardiac enzyme and lipid profile. The cardiac enzyme cardiac enzyme and lipid profile and lipid profile now this is in the Sanders, and it is important to know this you have to know this by heart the cardiac enzyme and the lipid profile in the in in your book in the saunders book you have all these things in the honor laboratory results when a client has a BNP, what's happening? Increased BNP, if the client had increased troponin, myoglobin, those are all cardiac enzymes. What are the indications and what can we do? They are all in, a, in a the Sunday's uh, book under laboratory procedures. Now, cardiac enzymes are released into the bloodstream when the heart having ischemia. Every time there is a blood decrease in blood supply, there's a blood supply deprivation, there will be an enzyme released into the bloodstream. So That's why we do a blood draw and you do enzyme analysis and you know which enzyme is being released into the bloodstream. That means it is that condition that the client has that causes the client to have the heart problem or the ischemia. Now, also, then a lipid profile, Provides for us um, how high or low our cholesterol level are in our body. Um, when we do cardiac enzymes, it helps cardiac enzymes help us to identify or to diagnose some heart condition, specifically like the myocardial infarction. So, MI a in myocardial infarction. Cardiac enzyme helps us a lot to diagnose myocardial infarction. What is also important here is um, there are a lot of cardiac enzymes. And I'm going to name them for you. I will give you some of their values. And you will have to go to the Saunders and re-honor the cardiac enzyme under there. There are a lot of cardiac enzymes in there. You want to make sure and know them. And now, what what the Saunders did for us that is very unique is the sandals provided us not just with this cardiac enzyme the sandals provided us with the cardiac enzyme along with their indication along with their nursing management and a lot of pertinent information about the car about those cardiac enzymes so when you read it you will have a better and a good understanding a better understanding about those enzymes and how they function and why are they increasing or decreasing in there now I will start with the creatinine kinase MB. One cardiac enzyme we we talk about is the CKMB. CKMB. You've seen this. It's called creatinine. The creatinine kinase MB. Now, every time you see the A-S-E at the end of every every word, it means that's an enzyme. (coughs) Now... In the creatinine kinase MB, um, it is an acyl enzyme that is more sensitive, that is more valuable to the myocardial of the heart, the heart muscle. So, when there is a, mus- a cardiac muscular damage or cardiac muscular problem, we're going to see an increase in this particular uh enzyme the creatinine kinase ckmb the value for the ckmb should be between 30 to 170 units per liter anything above that is a problem now um when there is an injury when there is a myocardial injury it takes the body three to six hours for the heart to release this particular uh insult this particular uh, uh, this particular, um, it takes three to six hours for the heart to release this enzyme into the bloodstream. So in three to six hours, we can figure out, we can know exactly that there is a cardiac problem. There is a myocardial problem that is causing, uh, the heart to release, um, this particular enzyme into our body. Now, And then, it lasts for two to three days. Then it goes back to normal. Then we have, the next one we have is the troponin. Now, the troponin should never be above um, Uh, 0.1 nanometer. It should always be below 0.1 nanometer. Troponin is also one of those cardiac heart markers. That is very important when it comes to the heart well being. Um, it gets on the rise. Um, when there's an injury, it takes two to three hours, it starts elevate, start getting elevated. And it takes 10 to 14 days, uh, then it's gonna stop its elevation and it will get lost from the body. So that is the troponin T. Then we have troponin R. Triple R should be less than 0.03 in the body. If, it, if there's a cardiac injury, it goes up above 0.03. It takes 2, two to 3 hours also to get released into the bloodstream there's a cardiac injury. And it takes 7 to 10 days. It's going to get lost from the body. Then we have the myoglobin. The myoglobin is normal range. It, it should not surpass... Uh, 90 micrograms per liter. If it goes above 90, definitely it is high, meaning there's a chida injury. It takes at least um two or three hours to get released into the bloodstream when there's a chida injury, and it lasts for up to 24 hours. It is gonna be sucked into the into the uh bloodstream. Um then we look at cholesterol. Now the cholesterol. You have the LDL, which is the low density, the LDL. You have the HDL, which is the high one, is the good one, this is the good cholesterol. This is the bad cholesterol, it's called LDL, low density lipoprotein. HDL, high density lipoprotein. Now, then you have the triglyceride. The triglyceride. Um, it's also another cholesterol level that is not good for the body then you have the total cholesterol total cholesterol now these are just what you want to know their values and uh, for the LDL which is the bad cholesterol, the LDL transport cholesterol to the body cells from the liver so, it is bad because, it, because it, is, it, it transports cholesterol from the body to the liver. Which, when it accumulates, it can cause liver impairment. That's how bad it is. So, it is called the LDL. And this LDL should never, ever, should never, ever go above um, 130. It should be less than 130. For the LDL, it should not go above. It should be less than 130 for the LDL. Then the HDL... It is the good cholesterol. Because it is good, it is found around the heart. So if you eat oatmeal in the morning, oatmeal has a high level of good cholesterol, which is the HDL. It helps to protect the heart from other conditions. The, 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 the HDL uh, protects the coronary arteries in the heart from heart disease. It transports cholesterol from the body cells to the liver. Um, that's how good it is um so that's that's the HDL, and the HDL should always be below uh, it should be above 55 so because it is good it should never drop below 55 some book will say 60 but take it at 55 so it should always be above 55 if it drops below 55 it is low it is not good for the body so it is found around the coronary arteries it helps to protect the heart from other conditions. Um, then you have the triglyceride. Now, the triglyceride is also not a good cholesterol. Um, it is a, It should be at a particular level. It should, it should not go above 160 and it should not drop below 40. So for the triglyceride, it's always, be, it's always between 40 to 160. That's the level of the triglyceride. And this triglyceride and um, what is important about is that it evaluates the client's risk for heart disease. So the client at risk for other heart condition, this particular triglyceride gave us those indications. Then we have the total cholesterol. Now, the total cholesterol should be less than 200. It should not be above 200. It should be less than 200, the total cholesterol. Now, these values, you have to know them for the anchor. They are in the standards look at them and you understand them more then we have the uh, <clears throat> we have the next procedure is the stress testing how do we do stress testing on the heart now for the stress testing let's look at, the, let's look at stress testing now for stress testing stress testing. For stress testing, um, the client will exercise the cardiac muscle by using a treadmill. That's where we use a treadmill. We walk on a treadmill or we, or we walk fast on a treadmill. Now this will provide information regarding workload of the heart. All we want to do is that we, we want to see how much workload can a heart withstand. So you will have a treadmill and the client will get in the treadmill and will start the treadmill. And we'll see how how many how what's the time frame the client can take to walk on the treadmill faster, and then the heart will begin to work. And at what time the client will feel tired, meaning the meaning, that's the amount of workload the heart can withstand. So that's how the, the, this particular uh stress testing. The test should be discontinued once the heart rate reaches a certain level that the client cannot tolerate is discontinued. Um, when the client becomes too tired or the client is disabled physically ch- or physically challenged or the client cannot finish the test, then we stop it. Then the provider will come in and prescribe the test to, do, to, uh, to, to be done as a pharmacological stress test. A chemical stress test, You can also do it in that. Now, the test can be when a client has angina, you can do for them uh, this particular stress test. You can also do for them heart fa- when the client has heart failure, when the client has MI, myocardial infarction, when the client has some other form of dysrhythmia, any irregular heart pattern or heartbeat, the client can do the test to check whether the client is okay or not. Now, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> for, the, for this procedure, the client needs to sign an informed consent for this stress testing. The client needs to understand the procedure and the nurses need to explain to the client what the procedure is about. And uh, the client needs to wear comfortable shoes, electric shoes. The client needs to also wear clothes that are very much comfortable that will not put stress on the client body. Um, If we prescribe for the client chemical test, which is a pharmacological uh, pharmacological stress testing, if the client is doing the pharmacological stress testing, um, the client would take certain medication. Um, the client would take. Um, uh, <coughs> the, the client would take. <coughs> excuse me. The client will take this heart medication, adenosine. The client will be given adenosine. The client takes. <coughs> The client would take adenosine. The client would take um, another drug, or the the client would take dobutamine, dobutamine, or the client would take um, diaparadap Dipyra, diaparadimol, These are drugs the client will take instead of uh, walking on a treadmill. So, we can do it two ways. We can do the physical test by walking on a treadmill. Or, we can do the chemical test by taking medication. And these drugs will make the heart to work. And we'll see to what extent the heart can tolerate certain weight loss. That's the entire reason why the test is being done. How much workload can the heart withstand? That's why the test has been ordered. So, um, tell the client to fast two to four hours before the procedure and to avoid tobacco, alcohol, and caffeine before the chemical test. Tell the client to get adequate rest the night before the procedure because the heart is going to work and we'll see to what extent the heart can work. That's the reason why the test has been ordered. Now, then we look at um, other procedure also. Like, let's look at angiography. Now, in angiography, let's look at angiography. There is something about these graphics. That is unique to almost all the tests that ends in graphy. So angiography, other things you will see in here like this. Now for the angiography, um, it is what we call cardiac catheterization. So when you hear angiography, cardiac angiography, or here it is the same as cardiac catheterization. Some book would love to use uh, angiography. Some would use cardiac catheterization. Now. It is a diagnostic invasive procedure. It is used to evaluate the presence and degree of coronary artery blockade. <clears throat> That's about the test. So, the test is used to diagnose the extent of coronary artery blockade in the heart. Now, on this procedure, you want to understand which ones are invasive, which ones are non-invasive it is important to know which ones the client will need to fast, which one will require the client not fasting. If the client is fasting, what are the requirements for fasting? How many hours? Most often, it is between 4 to 8 hours fasting. The client can do this procedure. So you have to know these things to your fingertip. Now, for the angiography, for the angiography, um, what is important in the angiography is it's also done on our lower extremities to determine the blood flow in those areas it is a blockade. So, like somebody having a deep vein thrombosis, um, when, they have, when the person has a leg surgery or other surgery that will cause, they put the client at risk for blockade, venous blockade, we can do for them the angiography on the extremity to, 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 to diagnose the problem. Um, we also, this angiography, they involve the insertion of catheter into the femoral area. Sometimes they will insert it into the femoral area uh, because it's, it, it is a catheter. It is the, they will put it into the femoral area, into the femoral vein. So um, this, this this is a, uh, this is uh, an individual, and the femoral area is around here. So they will insert it here, and they have a vein here that is threaded straight towards the heart of the body. So, that's how they're going to have this done here. So, it goes in the femoral area. Um, and then, uh, in the femoral area, it is inserted in there. Sometimes, also, they put it in the brachial area. The brachial vein can be used. They either use the femoral vein or the brachial vein to insert this particular catheter. Now, um, what is important also is the coronary artery um, occlusion I identify they gonna use a contrast medium or a contrast dye. Now, that's why I said almost all the graphic tests have a dye, a lot of it. They will use a contrast medium or a dye. Now, if the client is using this particular procedure, this dye here, most often it has an iodine base. It has an iodine uh, base. Now, if it has an iodine base, Many clients who are allergic to shellfish um, cannot use this particular procedure with the dye in use. They might use other ones. And uh, what is important for the dye to be used is that uh, when we use the dye in this this procedure, it helps us to locate where the thrombus is or or where the blockade is in the artery. That's why we use the dye. So the dye is ingested into the system and it flows around and then when you will see a flow and wherever there's a blockade you will see it discolorated and that's how they pick it up where the client has a blockade in the body or in the veins or in the arteries now before the client do this angiographic you remember we're talking about hey, when we're doing uh i think we were doing the newest system we said that uh, in angiography when the client for the client, you use a dye we need to do a client kidney test because the kidneys is the organ that will help to excrete this dye from our system. So if the client is having kidney impairment or kidney failure, it becomes difficult for us to excrete the dye from the system after the client has uh, after the client has taken or, a, or after the procedure. Now, what we want to understand uh, in this procedure is um. This can be used when a client has um, unstable angina. We can also use it when there is uh, to confirm and locate the extent of heart disease. We can use this particular angiography. Um, the procedure, the client needs to fast for eight hours. Um, because the client will lie down flat during this procedure, and there will be risks of aspiration, and that's why the client needs to fast for the procedure. Um, we need to obtain vital sign. We assess for iodine or shellfish allergy. Uh, if the client is in contrast medium or media, uh, we assess for kidney problem. Like I said, and all these things are done when the client is before the client goes for the procedure. Now. During the procedure, we administer sedatives or analgesia as prescribed and we monitor the client's vital signs continuously in the client's heart rhythm. We make sure that the client is prepared for any intervention. If there is a dysrhythmia, the client needs to be to be prepared for that intervention. And that's why you have all those cardiac monitor monitors in the surgical room to monitor the client heart rate, the client pulse, the client body, everything the client goes through in there, it is being monitored by someone who stands to monitor them while the procedure is being carried on. Now, then, after the procedure, um, it takes, we, we, we monitor the virus sign every 15 minutes for 4 hours. That's the first one. After the procedure, we monitor Vata sign we monitor Vata sign every 15 minutes for at least uh, four times. So we monitor every 15 minutes times four, which is like one hour, right? Then we monitor the Vata sign every 30 minutes times two. Which is another one hour. Then we monitor the virus sign. Then we monitor it, um, every hour. Every hour times uh, times I think times four. We monitor it every hour uh, times four, and then every four hour. And then the last one will be monitor virus sign every four hourly. This is the routine of monitoring vital sound for individual who, who, who has had a critical procedure. So every 15 minutes 4 hours, every 30 minutes 2 hours, or, or 2 times I mean, every hour 4 times, and every 4 hours until discharge. Now, um, we also maintain the client on a bell rest. We assess the groin area. If the client did the femoral, Catheterization, we monitor the groin area. If the client did break your we monitor the brachial site for bleeding, and also after for eight hours, we begin to monitor them for signs of infection. Um, we also look at the client' pedal pulses, the color, the temperature, which can be uh, can show when there is thrombosis. We can see from those areas, from the peter pulses or the, the color of the peter pulse and the temperature, monitor that. Um, the client will also will conduct cardiac monitoring for the client when the client if, to, to monitor if the client is having dysrhythmia. We administer anti or tumoridic agents. You remember we talked about anti or tumoridic agents. We said there is a difference between anticoagulants like uh like uh you have uh heparin those are anticoagulant we said it's the between the anticoagulant and the antiplatelets or the thrombolytic agents now for the for the thrombolytic agents these agents can dissolve blood clots like we have the rt they can dissolve blood clots for the anticoagulant heparin coumadin, and also pairing All those ones are anticoagulant. Those medications will not dissolve blood clot. They will, um, for them, what they do is, they prevent new clot formation and they also also suppress the old clots that have been uh, formed already from getting larger. So, they prevent old clots from getting larger and they prevent new clot formation the traumatic agents are the ones that will dissolve the clot So know the between those two blood medications because the angler will ask you a client who is on rt place ask the nurse how am i or how will this medication work for me what could be the nurse best response the best response for rt place which is a traumatic agent they can work by dissolving blood clot, and for heparin they work by two ways. One, by either preventing new clot formation or they prevent smaller clots from getting larger. Because there is an instance wherein you could have a little clot that remains in the inside system the nervous system with no time it grows. It becomes a bigger clot, which can be very much fitter in the case of clot formation. So you have these medications. We use them under here. And uh, you want to make sure you administer the antiplate, uh the traumatic agents as prescribed to prevent clot formation and re-stenosis like aspirin, um, ticlopidine, heparin. These are drugs we want to administer as prescribed. You have like the aspirin. If it is prescribed, the client should take it as prescribed aspirin. You have clopidogrel you have the heparin um, you also have the The last one is the titlopidine these are all drugs that can help us to reduce the risk of clot formation after the client has completed angiography now you want to make sure you have mentioned the client um uh the client if the client needs angiolytic agent, the client is anxious. The client takes angiolytics agent. If the client feels an- anxious, the client will take that. Um, you also want to make sure that uh the client takes um every drug that is prescribed for them under the client urine, output and administer IV fluids, look at the client um. The client, the color of the urine, so that it might carry the contrast dye. You want to make sure that the client is educated on the following: one, leave the dressing in place for the first twenty-four hours after discharge. It is important after angiography, we do not remove the dressing until after twenty-four. After the client would would take the dressing home, if it is a breaker procedure, it remains on their uh, in their breaker area. If it is if it's femora. It remains there. The client going for twenty-four hours. You also want to make sure that uh, um, the client avoid any strenuous exercise for at least the prescribed period, depending on what the doctor will say to the client. You want to also make sure the client should report any immediate uh, bleeding at the site where the catheterization took place. If it is at the brachial side, the client should report it promptly. If it is at the femoral site. The client should report it promptly. Um, We also want to make sure the client cannot lift lift anything heavier than ten pounds. So after the surgery or after after, after this procedure, the client can lift less than ten pounds. Anything above ten pounds, the client cannot lift it. It is important to remember this particular figure in this uh, under this procedure, Uh, which is so you know ten pounds is four point five kg. Now. You want to also make sure the client who has stent placement, they will receive anticoagulation therapy for 6 to 8 weeks. Tell the client to take the medication at the same time each day. Have the client to do that regular laboratory test to do the blood serum level of what the client is taking, like the anticoagulant. Have the client to avoid any activity that will cause them bleeding. They have to use soft toothbrush. They have to wear shoes out of bed. Encourage the client to follow lifestyle guidelines. Manage the client weight and other things. These are important to the client, would need to do if the client completes the angiographic. And you remember when we did the we did this same procedure in the neural system? We talked about those complications. And one was cardiac tamponade. Now, cardiac tamponade it is a complication of the procedure is also a problem by itself. What is cardiac tamponade? In cardiac tamponade, um, a result when there is fluid piling up into the pericardial sac. So where um the heart lays in the heart is in a bag. In that bag, you will see fluid accumulating in that sac, and that's what we call cardiac temponate. So, one of the complications after this procedure will be cardiac tamponade. So, in this case, the client is going to have hypertension. Let's remember these symptoms very well. The client will have hypertension when the client has cardiac tamponade. The client will also have um, the client will have jugular vein distension. They will have the jugular vein distended. The client will have muffled heart sound, muffled heart sounds. When the client has cardiac tempo the client is also going to have. Um, the client will have paradoxi- uh, paradoxical pause. Um, the client will have called paradoxical pause. You see this in. The client will have physical pulse now in here it is wearing there will be a variance of 10 millimeter per mercury or more in systolic pressure between expiration and inspiration so there will be a variance of more than 10 millimeter per mercury of the client pressure when it between expiration and inspiration that's what we we'll call pause when it comes to the cardiac tempony, and then uh, also under here in the cardiac tempony, you want to notify the doctor as soon you pick up these things. And in the ankles, guess what's gonna happen? Like I always told you, people that are that in the ankles, the ankles might not use the word cardiac tempony. What the ankles uses, majority of the, majority, majority of the time, is The end will tell you that a client just came from completing angiography or the client who who did angiography three hours ago or 24 hours ago developed the following symptoms. The client is having decreased blood pressure. The client has the the neck vein distended. The client has uh, the pulse, there's a pulse variant of 15 or 20 and there is a muffled heart sound. What is the nurse's immediate action? Now, in, in this condition, or oh, the examiner might ask you, what could be the possible complication of the client's problem, or the client-person condition? So you have to understand first, what conditions, or what are the complications that come, that come after the procedure angiography? Now, then you have to reflect, what are the complications? you think screen, then you think, then you think these are to do analysis which complication will have these symptoms you analyze them then you will get on that it is cardiac temple that's hap- that's having these uh, these uh symptoms then you ask okay, it is cardiac of or you know what to do in this case the interest is if you observe or if you figure out that the client is having any one of these problems to be at, uh, an, uh, to be a combination of cardiac the first thing you do is you immediately inform the doctor for the client. Um, you obtain the chest X-ray and the EKG to confirm the diagnosis. Prepare the client for pericardiocentesis. 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 Now this is a long war. and in the English sometimes we use. Um, pericardial synthesis. We use the words phonetics to understand the meaning. Now, pericardio. Cardio means the heart. Peri means the perimeter of the heart or the heart surrounding. The perimeter of the heart is called peri or the heart the heart field or the heart surroundings. Synthesis. We've done procedures that end in synthesis. Torax synthesis. What happened just in torax in thoracic diseases, we are removing fluid from in the thoracic cavity. So, in the case of pericarditis, now in cardiac tamponade, what happened in this condition? There is a fluid accumulation in the pericardial sac of the heart. In the case of cardiac tamponade, that's what we call cardiac tamponade. There is an accumulation of fluid within the heart sac, in the heart perimeters. So, to drain that fluid out. We do a procedure called pericardiosynthesis, like we did thorax synthesis, wherein the client will sit and bend his back or her back on a table at the bedside and will insert uh, a catheter into the client's thorax and drain out fluid or blood in there. In the case of thorax that's what happened in the case of pericardial sentences. So you look at the word and you know the word ending, the subject of the word or the word prefix can give you a meaning of what the word is, even if you don't know it. Um we'll do this thing for the client and make sure the client is in good good uh the client is in good good condition. Um the client can also have hematoma formation. Uh the client can have formation of hematoma wherein there's a blood clot can form near the set up So, if the client had a breakup post in session for the procedure angiography, the client could have a hematoma formation around that site. Or if it, a, if it is a femoral area, the client could also have inflammation or, 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 or a hematoma formation around the femoral area. And when you have hematoma, assess the ground area or where the hematoma is. Um, you hold pressure for uncontrolled bleeding or oozing. You apply pressure. You go ahead and monitor the peripheral circulation for the patient. And you notify the doctor. Listen to the procedure. When there is a hematoma, you want to cover the place and provide pressure to the site to prevent bleeding. The next thing you do is you, mu- you want to like go ahead and call the doctor so you have to perform an action before calling the doctor when there is a risk when the client has a complication called hematoma then we have what we call wrist stenosis of twitter blood vessels wrist the client can also develop what we call wrist stenosis um, stenosis or not here this is important for our end it's very important for our end that's why I'm going in detail like this for LP and LVN, uh, you can know what is antigraphic, but these ones are not bigger than you have to know about them. Now, for our ends, this uh when you talk, talk about recent of treated blood vessel, it means clot reformation. So after we dissolve the first clot, we had newer clots coming in after the first clot this dissolution. So you're gonna have reformations of, of clots um in the coronary artery which can lead to severe, immediate or severe weeks after the procedure so after uh, sorry several weeks after the procedure several weeks after the procedure the client can go through risk diagnosis newer clot formation after the procedure that can happen in this case you want to assess the client EKG patterns know the client heart pattern the client's heart strips you want you want to, which can most often occur with chest pain so the client will have chest pain. Chest pain is a cardinal sign of wrist after angiography. The client needs to be assessed for these things. Then we have notified the doctor immediately when you've done your assessment and it is confirmed that the client has wrist stenosis. You want to go ahead and also prepare the client for a return to go back to the OR and do another angiography. So the first one was done. Based on the first one, the client is having complications like restenosis, meaning the client is having newer clot formations, multiple clot formations. So when this is confirmed through your EKG, the client doctor needs to be notified and the client needs to be prepared and sign another informed consent and the client be rolled out back to the OR for another angiography. The client can also have what we call uh, retroperitoneal bleeding. Retro, The client can have retroperitoneal peritoneal bleeding. Now, what is retroperitoneal? It means at the back of the peritoneum, The peritoneum is the entire abdomen. The entire abdomen. What is in there is called a peritoneal cavity. Now, at the back of this peritoneal cavity, there could be a bleeding. Now, the bleeding will not... Because the client is lying down, in many cases after the procedure, there will be retro, meaning there will be bleeding that will set. Blood will set at the back of our our abdominal organs, which we call retroperitoneal bleeding. Now, when this occurs, um, we assess for flank pain. Now, after the procedure, the client will have flank pains. When the client has chest pain, what's happening? In the case of chest pain, we think on resting noses. If the client has flank pain, now in this case the client will have chest pains. In this situation the client will have flank pain. Flank pains will occur. That's what happened in here. The client will have flank pain, the client will have chest pain. In in resting noses the client will have chest pain. In retroperitoneal bleeding the client will have flank pain on the client's side, there will be pins on the client's side. So with this um in order for the doctor immediately we administer iv fluid and also blood product as prescribed the client will have blood loss in huge amount with this particular case any question we'll begin with our nursing care of clients who have cardiovascular disorders to be specific we will continue with the diagnostic and the therapeutic Procedures for these conditions. So we we'll start with the ECG or EKG, as you want to call it. Um, Cardiac electrical activities can be monitored by using the electrocardiogram. Um, in our heart, we have these impulses that flow through the heart that help us to uh, monitor. The heart activities, the rhythm, the pattern—all those things are important for us to make sure that uh, we understand how the heart is working. Um, to understand that, we have to go through all of these things and know and know them. The heart carry out Ill- these electrical activities um, by monitoring some twelve lead EKG um, pattern. 12 lead we do a 12 lead monitoring to give us how to tell us how our heart is working to pump blood and do all those things that are required for us to live um we do it through resting through the resting ekg or ecg or we could do it through ambulatory ekg which is called the halter monitoring so if it is ambulatory um the client is not resting the client is moving around we do it through what we call halter h-o-l-t-e-r halter monitoring now or sometimes we can do it through continuous cardiac monitoring or by telemetry so through telemetry we can also monitor the heart activities when uh the heart we observe the heart to have problem. We when we use cardiac monitoring, whether it is the resting EKG or it is the halter monitoring or is true, telemetry, or through any other means, our goal is to diagnose dysrhythmia. Dysrhythmia is irregular heart pattern or heart or heart problems. When we want to look at the chambers of the heart. The heart has Four chambers. These four chambers of the heart are what we are observing to see what's happening. We have the right side of the heart, the red ventricle, else uh, the red atrium is the first portion up wall coming from systemic circulation. Then you have the left atrium upward connecting to the lungs to get O2, and you have the red ventricle lowered below the red atrium. Um, this connects to the pulmonary artery that goes towards the lungs to give blood back to the lungs for oxygenation. And you have the right um, ventricle, the left ventricle, under the left atrium. This is where you have the aorta. is connected. And this pumps blood to the systemic circulation after the blood has been oxygenated. That's what happened in there. Now, so, um, These are things that we try to to look out for, how enlarged these chambers are. Because these chambers are regular, they are normal, and they provide for us regular heart pattern, regular shift. Everything is regular and normal when there is no illness. Um, When there is a problem, it tends to become enlarging. So when you do EKG, EKG finds out how enlarged these heart chambers are. then we also do EKG when the client has myocardial infarction to know what, are the, or what is happening to the client. So if the client has myocardial infarction, there is an abnormal pattern of the EKG. Now, so in the end class, I want us to listen very keenly about this EKG and what I'm talking about today. Now the first thing is, we want to pick up one chamber enlargement. That's the first thing, chambers enlargement, the heart tumor when it is enlarged, what can we or uh, how do we detect the enlargement of the heart tumors on the EKG strip? How do we detect that? We'll look at that. Um, when a client has myocardial infarction, when there's an infarct creation in the in the heart myocardium, how does the EKG strip appear? How, the, how does it appear? It is also one thing you, when you are doing the EKG, you got to understand how how MI appears on the EKG. Now another thing is it tells us um, whether there is an, uh, an injury or there is an infarct and also those imbalances or when we administer other cardiac medication. These are things we find out about the EKG. Um, When there is a dysrhythmia, when there's when 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 you hear the word cardiac dysrhythmia, there is an imbalance or there is an irregular heartbeat occurring in the heart. That's why we are having cardiac dysrhythmia. Um, In dysrhythmia condition, it could be due to beat formation having auto pattern or beat conduction. Or the way in which our heart muscles respond to um, the commands by our body. Sometimes our heart will command our body will com, our body will demand certain, uh, certain amount of blood, and the heart cannot live up to those up to those demands. Then there can be a problem that we can call dysrhythmia. Now, so um, nurses are liable to be familiar with cardioversion and other defibrillation procedures because these are procedures that we implement when a client has a regular heartbeat. So today we'll look at what medication can we administer when a client has some of these dysrhythmia or what procedure, whether it is defibrillation or cardioversion we can use when a client has problems with the, with the heart. These are things we are supposed to know as nurses before the end or even in our regular uh, nursing practices in the hospital or where we are. Now, so, in the EKG, um, we use electrocardiograph. We use what we call electrocardiograph to um, monitor or recall our heart activities. Um, this, card, this, uh, this particular electrocardiograph we connect it to wires and those wires are what we call the leads. So you have 12 wires that we connect the electrocardiograph to which we call the leads. So when you have EKG leads, we are talking about EKG wires. Those wires we attach to the, car, or to the patient's thoracic cavity and to the patient's legs and other body parts to recall the heart activities is what we call the leads and we use 12 of them. Which we call the 12 leads EKG. Now, also under here, we attach this, like I said, to the to, to the skin and other portion of the limbs. Um, in continual cardiac monitoring. So we have continuous cardiac monitoring, like when the client is in the telemetry unit. So we do continual cardiac monitoring for the client who is in telemetry. Um, that's what we do first. Continuous um cardiac Monitoring now under continuous cardiac monitoring, um, it requires that the client be in close proximity with the monitoring system. That's why you see the client lying in the bed in the ER or in the uh, ICU, and the client is next to those, uh, to those machines that monitor the client heart rate, the heart pattern. So, in continuous cardiac monitoring the client is required to be next to the monitor, that is the electric drive. Um, also, in continual cardiac monitoring, um, when the client is uh, for the for the telemetry, the telemetry will allow the client to ambulate while in the same proximity. So in telemetry, the client remains next to the machine, but the client can wake up, they can stand up, they can walk around, but they will still be in close proximity with the machine, with the the electrocardiogram, um, inform the client that receiving this continuous EKG monitoring, when they are receiving this continuous EKG monitoring, um, the monitor will not detect SOB. In EKG, when they are in EKG monitoring state, the monitor will not uh, detect shunning of breath. SOB. So the nurse needs to tell the client that when you experience breath shortness why on this monitor, let us know because the machine does not detect SOB when you are on the machine. So they need to tell us that, oh, I'm having SOB. I can't breathe. I'm having shortness of breath. My breath is getting faster. These are things the patient needs to tell the nurse when they are on EKG monitoring. Um also there are other symptoms that can be due to shortness of breath. The client should be uh the client needs to report any symptoms that will worsen their condition while on the monitor. This is important because the client wouldn't know that when they are having SOB, they need to report it to the nurse. They need to know that, and the nurses need to tell them these things. Now, in EKG, when we do EKG, what are those things that we're trying to like a monitor, what are those things we're looking for in the EKG? Now, let's look at a list of problems that are the indications for EKG. Let's look at the indication. Now, these indications are important. Why are they important? Because in the end class, um, these are the major EKG pattern that the end will let you to know and know their diagram how can we see svc superventricular problem if it appears on the ekg strip how can we detect it how can we detect um the q our complex being abnormal how can we detect the uh, um the p wave being abnormal how can we detect when there's a heart block in in a type one heart block that too, how do we detect these things? So, it is important that we look at this indication and know exactly what are we looking for. Um, in the EKG, we need to know what is one sinus bradycardia sinus bradycardia and sinus tachycardia. We need to know these two things on the EKG. Bradycardia, low heart, low heart rate. Tachycardia increase heart rate. Now, we will look at these things. I will tell you the way in which you can detect sinus brady and tachycardia in the simplest manner. In some cases, you just look at the arrow, the two arrow between two different uh, EK, uh two 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 different KRS complexes. You can detect whether the client is having sinus bradycardia or they having sinus tachycardia. And when you check. The boxes, you will see that when they are having bradycardia, the the heartbeat is lower than 60 beat per minute and you will see that, you will know that. Number two, we need to also be able to detect atrial ventricular heart blocks. Atrial ventricular heart blocks, we need to detect these things, they are one block, one block, two block, three, we need to know what they are and how can we detect them. The third one is we need to also know atrial fibrillation, atrial fibrillation. We need to know atrial fibrillation um, in our EKG strips. Now, the atrial is the P wave. So when you see atrial fibrillation, you will see that the P wave will not be normal. But how can we detect an abnormal P wave? would be what we have to go over and see and detect them with the EKG, which we'll look at in subsequent time. Then the fourth thing you want to know about this thing is what is ventricular acysto? Ventricular um, acysto. Now when a client has ventricular acysto, what is happening to the client? How will the EKG strip appear? How or what can we do for them? These are things we have to know. So it comes in two types. The first step in the anklers, the ankle will give you question, not drawing. A client who is having ventricular acysto, what would the nurse do for the client? And they will list for you cardioversion, uh, defibrillation, give the client adenosine, give the client uh, different medication, and they will ask you what drugs can you do or what the nurse will do for the client. That becomes just a ligature in the EKG Question in the anklets. On the other hand, they will give you a diagram. They might give you four different diagrams and ask you which diagram represents a ventricular system. So you must ask, what is asystole and how does it appear when a client is having ventricular system? When they go under the 12-lead EKG, what going to appear on the EKG strips? These are things we have to know for the anklets. We also will look at premature atrial complexes. We we'll look at number five, premature atrial complexes, and we will also look at S V or uh, PVC, premature ventricular complexes. We will look at the APAC and the PVC, premature atrial complexes and premature ventricular complexes. Now, for these questions, my goal is to make us to know how to recognize atrial problems. From ventricular problems, whenever there is an atrial complication, atrial heart problem of the EKG, you will see the P wave will appear abnormal. Whenever there is a QRS problem with the with the uh, EKG of the of the heart, you will see that interpretation as ventricular problem because in the EKG pattern, in the EKG rhythm, when you have an EKG strip. That comes in this format like this uh, you have it like this here and it goes up like this and you have it like this in this EKG pattern whenever there is a ventricular problem the ventricle of the heart is represented on the QRS complex this become the arrow up here this is the Q right here this is here is the S so this QRS complex on the EKG rhythm represent the ventricles of the heart, and those ventricles are two chambers. If the heart is in this pattern, in this pattern, the two lower chambers are the ventricle. Here you have the right ventricle and you have the left ventricle. So when there is a problem with the lower heart chamber, this problem or these problems are interpreted by the QRS complex. So once you see an abnormal QRS complex, that means you are looking at ventricular heart disorders. That's what happened in here. And to detect uh, an atrial heart problem, you will detect the atrial problem by the P-wave. This P-wave right here, this is the P-wave. So this P-wave can tell us that the client is having atrial heart problem. This P-wave right here. Now, and the P wave is always represented by the atria. You have the two atria up as the two upper chambers of the heart. You have the right atria and you have the left atria. So, these two upper chambers, when there is or when there are abnormalities, these abnormalities are shown out to us on the EKG script with an abnormal uh, uh, P wave. And the p wave has a particular anomaly that you're going to see the p wave there should be it should cover three to small boxes on the pattern anything above five boxes is abnormal anything below five boxes is abnormal so the p wave should cover five three to five small boxes which is equal to 0.12 to 0.20 that is the well, we'll go into that and tell you what all those numbering means on the EKG, uh, in the EKG study. The nurse must also know what we call supraventricular tachycardia. Supraventricular tachycardia. The nurse must know what is it, how it appears on the EKG uh, 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 monitor, and when it appears, what can we do. The nurse needs to know ventricular tachycardia, ventricular tachycardia. The seventh one will be ventricular tachycardia. And uh, the eighth one is going to be uh, ventricular fibrillation, ventricular fibrillation. Now, at the end of the day, there are 12 important EKG uh, rhythms that I like my people to like know them because those are the 12 most common EKG rhythms that are going to appear in the anklers. So if we know these 12 EKG rhythm, it becomes easier for us to understand, to recognize the pattern of the EKG I love the anklers. And all this rhythm, they will tell you what the nurse will have to do in terms of uh, providing treatment, treatment for, for the patient to be able to get it at the best time. Now. Um these are things we will have to go over. <clears throat> so um let's look at something else. Let's look at um let's look at the various uh, heart this or, uh, or the various heart arrhythmia or abnormalities. Now, these dysrhythmia are classified according to site of the dysrhythmia. The site of where the Abnormal heartbeat is occurring, that's how we recognize we categorize this dysrhythmia. Um, it can it can uh dysrhythmia could be linked to nine or other left threatening problems, but we have to know them and and provide the best regimen for this dysrhythmia. Now, when the client is having this dysrhythmia, um rapid recognition and rapid intervention is our goal. So how can we recognize rapid condition, uh, rapid or fast growing symptoms? How can we put in those measures that can arrest the situation and order to bring it back to normality? That is the goal under here. The treatment can be based on the cardiac rhythm. We do not have one treatment for irregular EKG. It's based on how the abnormality is depending on what is happening. If it is ventricular, we treat it as ventricular. If it, is, uh, uh, if it is atrial, treat it as atrial. If it is between atrial and ventricular, we also have other sites of the egotty pattern that will show different conditions. And that's how we treat these conditions. Um, we can either do cardioversion. Let's look at the treatment method that I want, I want us to like, uh, get used to today. Now, when a client has problem, we can either use one cardioversion, I want you to write this down, cardioversion, we can either do cardioversion for the client who has dysrhythmia, um, we can do defibrillation, we'll do defibrillations, or we insert pacemaker. We insert a pacemaker for the client who having uh, abnormal abnormal cardiac dysrhythmia or uh, cardiac dysrhythmia. Um, these symptoms of dysrhythmia in older client might have might coming with decrease or with increase activity. When the client increase or when the client have increased activities, we will see more of these symptoms coming in because it's the heart. The more work you do, the more work load is placed on the heart. And that's why when you are doing a stress test, you, run on, you walk on a treadmill or we give you those medication to put stress on the heart for us to see the amount of stress the heart can withstand during this period. Now, um, we, also, we also go ahead and provide for the client. Um, we go ahead and provide for the client other treatment method like the ACL like when, like when you do when you do um, those CPRs and those life saving procedures before you get a job. These are procedures the client needs to follow for us to go through these things and help the client the best way possible. Now, um, let's look at a few things. Now, Let's look at treatment for dysrhythmia. Now, when you hear the anger talk this dysrhythmia, 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 it means there is an abnormal heartbeat. There is an abnormal heart pattern. There is a problem, or there is there is an imbalance in the heart pattern, in the heartbeat, in the, the way in which the heart will conduct electrical impulses, there is a problem in there. That's what we call dysrhythmia. Now when we're doing this dysrhythmia, don't look at the following dysrhythmia, um, this dysrhythmia, one, let's look at um, bradycardia, when the client has cardiac, or, or when the client has, has bradycardia, now bradycardia means any heartbeat lower than 60 is called bradycardia. Let's be straight with that. In a heartbeat lower than 60 is called bradycardia. In some cases, the in will not say bradycardia. They will give you a strip, they will give you an exhibit, and they will give you vital sounds And in those vital sounds you will see a heart rate less than 60. That's a sign of bradycardia, or that is all called bradycardia. In bradycardia, um, you treat if the client is symptomatic. You only treat bradycardia if the client is symptomatic, meaning the client is showing symptoms of low heart rate or low pulse rate. If the client is showing symptoms, the client is having problems while having the bradycardia, then we can treat it. If the client is not showing symptoms, we do not have to treat bradycardia. I'm going to be clear on that. Now, in bradycardia, um, we do two things. We either provide the client with medication or we do a procedure. If the client needs medication in bradycardia, it could be any other bradycardia. That's why I just wrote bradycardia. The client would take medication such as atropine. You know what atropine is? We discussed it in pharmacology, we discussed it just the other day. Atropine. The client would take atropine or the client can take isopreterinol. Oso- preterinol the client can either take they can either take this medication to correct the bradycardia, atropines or asopreterinol to arrest the bradycardia that is to increase the heart rate that's why these drugs are given now if this medication cannot work for us um, then the client will, take, will give the client pacemaker, the client will use a pacemaker to make the heart to go back to normal. Now, these pacemakers, we'll talk about them in a few, in, in few minutes from now. It is important to know the level at which pacemaker can help the client. If the client has bradycardia, and the bradycardia less than 60 beats per minute. And the client is showing symptoms, the client is symptomatic. We give the client atropine, azoproetinol, or if those drugs cannot work, meaning the client needs something, a pacemaker in the heart that will initiate heartbeat because that's the function of the pacemaker. So if the client was having a low heart rate, the heart rate kept dropping, dropping. We said the atropine, it did not help. We said the atropine, it did not help meaning the client condition is severe, then the client will need a procedure to place in pacemaker. Now, if the client has three conditions, atrial fibrillation, that's one. If the client has atrial fibrillation, if the client has atrial fibrillation, uh, one. If the client has Supraventricular tachycardia, supraventricular tachycardia to if the client also has ventricular tachycardia with pause, ventricular tachycardia with pause, meaning the client is having this problem, but the client still, the pause can still be felt. We can still palpate the client pause. In these three conditions, if the client has any of these conditions, the client would take medication wise, the client can take one, amiodarone, amiodarone, that's one, two, the client could take adenosine, adenosine, adenosine can be administered or we can administer Verapamil. Verapamil. Look up this medication. So a client who's having atrial fibrillation, a client who has ventricular tachycardia, meaning the ventricles are beating faster. And when you look at the blood pressure, the ventricles on the BP are represented by diastolic blood pressure. Those are ventricular interpretation of the heartbeat. Lob dop. The dub is for the ventricle, the lob is for the atria. When blood enters the heart, the first sound here that is an atrial sound, those are the atria making the sound or the upper valve. Now, these upper valve are what you are hearing. If the blood is leaving the ventricle, going into other the lungs to get O2 or going into systemic circulation from the left ventricle. The next sound we hear is the dot sound. So the lop dog um, is ventricular sound. When those locked dog are faster, we are having ventricular tachycardia. And in such condition, we need to take one of these medications, the amiodarone, the adenosine, or the verapamil. And then uh, if the client has it with pause, meaning, oh sorry, if the client has it with pause, meaning if the client has this particular Ventricular tachycardia. We've pause We're giving this this medication now. Or if these drugs are not working, or we're bringing a faster uh, a faster procedure, we we'll do synchronized cardioversion. The client will use for the procedure. The client will use what we we'll call synchronized synchronized um, cardioversion cardioversion look up this procedure on youtube how can we how how do we provide synchronized cardioversion look at it on youtube and and look at the nursing management when we are providing the client with synchronized cardioversion then um the last portion of this uh dysrhythmia we look at the last area um the last portion would be when a client has Ventricular tachycardia without pause. In the first row, we talk about just a while, ago, uh, just now. Why raised the ball? We talk about ventricular tachycardia with pause. So, if the client has one ventricular tachycardia without pause, without pause, what can we do? Two, if the client has uh, ventricular fibrillation ventricular fibrillation in these two conditions the client would take amiodarone the client can take one amiodarone for the condition two the client can also take lidocaine the client can take also epinephrine epinephrine so the client can take one of these medications amiodarone lidocaine or epinephrine when the client is having ventricular fibrillation or the client having ventricular tachycardia without pulse they can take one of these medications now if these drugs would take longer time to work for us and we need some emergency, then we get the client, the client will go through defibrillation. Defibrillation can be the hallmark for the disease. The client will do the procedure called cardiac defibrillation. So, in short, we do defibrillation with the client who's having ventricular tachycardia without pause and when they also have ventricular fibrillation. We can do cardioversion. When the client has atrial fibrillation, what do we do? We do cardioversion. Now, I will really understand this. In atrial conditions, what do we do? We do cardioversion. When the client is having a ventricular problem, we do for the client uh, defibrillation. Now, but not all, the ones specifically named under this procedure is what we do for the client. If the client has ventricular Without, without pause we do the version. if the client has it with pause we do the synchronized uh or when the client has it without pause we do defibrillation if the client has it with pause we do the synchronized cardio version. i want to remember these things very well and note them for the anchor. it is important for the anchors um when we meet the next time we look at each script when the client has ventricular with without pause, how will the EKG pattern appear? If the client has it with pause, how will it appear? If the client has bradycardia, how will it appear? These are things I would, would look at and will understand. That's why we are here. If we do not understand it, we we'll stay on the ground. So I will make sure that we understand EKG that when you see an EKG pattern, you will have the basic idea to recognize what's happening to the client now um, i will give you a gist of both cardioversion and defibrillation before i leave this session let's look at what is cardioversion let's look at what is defibrillation and i want you to look i look them up also on youtube and see what's happening when we provide a client of cardioversion or when we do we'll a client defibrillation those are things i want you to understand let's look at cardioversion what we do basically in cardioversion, and what we do in defibrillations. Now, cardioversion is when we deliver shock to the client who's having this, who, who's having a problem. So, when the client has atrial problem, it could be atrial fibrillation, it could be the supraventricular tachycardia. It could be ventricular tension cardiac with pause. If the client has this problem, or one of these problems, we'll give the client cardioversion. And that is, we deliver shock to the client. So, um, cardioversion is just the delivery of a direct shock to the heart synchronized to the QRS complex. So, we are delivering shock to the heart to um, activate the QRS complex of the heart. Now, when we do defibrillation, we are providing the heart with an unsynchronized direct counter shock. In this case, so in cardioversion, we provide a synchronized shock or counter shock to the heart. In defibrillation, we provide a direct unsynchronized shock to the heart. Now. In defibrillations, um, defibrillation stops all cardiac activities. When we when we provide a client with defibrillation, it stops all the cardiac activities that are going on, including the, the heartbeat. Now, defibrillation allows the SA node, it allows the SA node to initiate heartbeat. So when here we provide the client with defibrillation, we are providing the client. With a shock that will enable the client to one to stop all cardiac activities, and then the S8 node will initiate the heartbeat. That's what happened in the case of cardiac defibrillation. Now, um, when we talk about the S8 node, we'll look at it in in a few minutes from now. We have the S8 node. The S8 node is uh, the chief instrument. That initiate heart impulses heartbeat and that's why the s8 node is located at the right ventricle so you have the heart in this diagram um you have it here like this you have this is the right atria you have up here you have the two veins the superior vena cava the svc and you have the ivc the inferior vena cava now, when blood has been used, when blood has been deoxygenized uh, from the systemic circulation, meaning the organs, our body cells, our tissues have used the O2 for the blood. The blood returns to the heart through the superior and inferior vena cavers. That's uh, those are the two receiving veins that are linked to the heart, and they are linked at the right atria of the heart. In this rare atria of the heart. Up here is where we have the S8 node. Because when blood enters the heart from that portion, the heart does not have the ability to uniquely initiate heartbeat. Those chambers do not have powerhouses to initiate heartbeat. The powerhouse of the of the heart that initiates heartbeat, meaning it initiates electrical impulses to begin pumping blood again after one systemic completion of blood circulation that powerhouse is the S8 knot. so the S8 knot will start because that's the first part of the heart that blood returns to the heart so the S8 knot begins the heartbeat pattern at that point now in short this S8 knot is what when we provide Defibril- uh, will provide defibrillation. So the defibrillation we are providing, it is being provided to stop, to shut down every cardiac activities. So the client goes into complete dormancy. Everything about the heart rate, the heartbeat, everything stops when we provide defibrillation. We are doing that because we want to allow the SA node to come in and do its work by initiating heartbeat, cardiac impulses. That's the reason why we are providing the defibrillation to the heart. So, um, then, for the cardioversion, cardioversion is an elective treatment. When we do cardioversion, it is an elective treatment, cardioversion, it is an elective treatment, elective treatment um, of atrial dysrhythmia. So, whenever there is an atrial dysrhythmia, we can provide this particular cardioversion. When there is a supraventricular tachycardia, I want us to write these things down. Listening to them is one thing, and looking at them after this particular class is another thing. in, in the case of atrial dysrhythmia, the client will go through um, cardioversion. When the client has supraventricular tachycardia, I'm sorry to interrupt. So I'm okay. the, the client also go through the client also go through cardioversion, and when there is a ventricular tachycardia, the cardiac with pause the client also go through cardioversion cardioversion is the treatment of choice it is the treatment of choice for clients who are symptomatic i repeat cardioversion is the treatment of choice for individuals with cardiac dysrhythmia who are having symptoms who we can see them We can detect their symptoms just by looking at them so the treatment of choice for them is cardioversion. So when a client has atrial dysrhythmia, when a client has supraventricular tachycardia, when a client has ventricular tachycardia with pulse, the treatment of choice is cardioversion. All of this I'm naming here, it comes with symptoms. You will see the client having the symptoms of what I'm talking about here. So in such conditions, the client will take we will do it for the client cardioversion. Now, if the client has uh, ventricular fibrillation or the client is having pulseless ventricular tachycardia, the client will undergo defibrillation. So for defibrillation, when the client has ventricular fibrillation with, with, uh, without pulse, meaning the client is having pulseless ventricular tachycardia the client will undergo defibrillation. We have to understand when can we cardiovert the client or when can we defibrillate the client. And whenever we do defibrillation, we are stopping all cardiac activities to allow the S8 node to initiate, to begin, to start a heartbeat so that the heart can go back. It's like you are resetting the heart. Whenever you cardiovert the heart, you are resetting the heart the heart so like your phone when your phone is having problem it's not uh, the internet is not working you call at&t you call um uh, t-mobile you call h2o C-Mobile, whatever phone company you with when you call them they'll ask you <clears throat> do you have additional do you have any other phone with you that we can call you on when the call is when we lost a call you said no So okay go to setting do this do that press this press reset when you press reset, what happens to the phone? The phone goes off for a few seconds and the phone, they will ask you to put the phone, off, put the phone back on after one or two or three minutes. So after, after, after the required time, you switch your phone on and then your phone will be reset. So when you have this problem, when you deal with the client, you are resetting the heart pattern, in short. Now, uh, <clears throat> for the procedure, the client who have atrial problem, um, they receive an unknown duration of anticoagulant for four to six weeks before the cardioversion therapy, and that's why you will see in these nursing homes when a client is going for cardioversion therapy, we we'll put the client on anticoagulant heparin or coumadin. That's like coumadin for this amount of time, or the client gets on enoxaparin, the low weight, the low molecular weight heparin a amount of time before to go for the procedure because in the procedure when we do the cardioversion <clears throat> the client might have um blood clots coming into the blood so we are uh, they might have blood clots being dislodged so we we'll administer these anticoagulant; it prevent they prevent the dislodgement of blood clots during the procedure and that's the reason why the client going to get on these medication for four to six weeks before the procedure. The engineer will ask you, a client who is scheduled to do a cardioversion, ask the nurse, why did my doctor put me on anticoagulant for this amount of time before my procedure? The reason is to prevent the, 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 the dislodgement of the clot before or uh, during the procedure. Now, um, we have to explain to the client the procedure We obtain informed consent, we want to administer O2 as required, document the pre-procedural heart rhythm. We want to make sure we have those emergency equipment when the client is doing the cardioversion. We want to also digoxin. If the client is on digoxin, we should hold it for two days, 48 hours. So, digoxin is withheld. Digoxin um, should be on hold for 48 hours. Prior to the cardioversion. So, these are drugs you want to stop. The English will ask you a client who has had this heart problem for this amount of time is going for cardioversion. What medication the client receiving a day before the procedure with the nurse question? And they will have all these medications, including digoxin. So, we have to hold digoxin when the client is going for the procedure cardioversion now what want to administer sedative as prescribed ensure that there is proper placement of the leads on the client on the client body parts again so you want to take a look at how can we do the ekg lead placement when the client is going for this procedure all staff must stand clear um the client is in an upright position and then uh, all staff must stand clear of the client equipments are connected to the client and the bed when a shock is delivered. Cardioversion requires activation of the synchronizer button of the machine. So when we're doing cardioversion, we are providing a synchronized shock to the client. So in cardioversion, the nurse will push the, uh, the synchronizing button on the machine because we are providing a, a synchronized direct counter-shock to the client. When we are doing defibrillation, we are providing an unsynchronized counter-shock to the client. Understand those jargons we are using and understand why they are being used for the English. Now, um, we make sure failure to synchronize can lead to development of complete... uh, The person might die from it. If we are providing the client, remember, when, the, when we defibrillate right, we are shutting down the heart. Many, we are giving the client an unsynchronized cardio. Uh, un, we are giving the client an unsynchronized direct counter shock. Because the client is having like a, the client is having like a heart problem. We want to shut down the heart and initiate a new heartbeat. Now, on the other hand. If the client is going through cardioversion, wherein we want to stimulate the heart to increase the heartbeat, and then we mistakenly did not press the synchronized button and we administer the shot, the client might die on the scene. So it is important that we are providing these things for the client in cardioversion, wherein we are providing the client with synchronized. Counter shock, we have to press the synchronized button uh, the synchronizer button on the machine. If we do not press that button and we enter the shock, the client can die instantly. It is a complete no no. That's why you would will, will ask you some, some machines can talk, press this button, do this, but there are machines that might not talk. So we are providing the client with cardioversion. A synchronized shock or counter shock to the client. You must press the synchronizing button on the machine. Now, um, we can perform CPR um, for clients who are having cardiac arrest. when the client has cardiac arrest, we can do CPR for the client. Or when the client has pulseless rhythm, we can do CPR. That's why in CPR. You always want to see why the client is having pause. So when there is no pause, the client can take the CPR. Um, Now, like I said, if we fail to synchronize, it leads to a development of a letter dysrhythmia, such as the client will have ventricular fibrillation and the client might have um, this particular problem and it can lead to the client's death in this case. So make sure we look at that. Look at that. Now, defibrillate the client immediately for ventricular fibrillation. So if the client has ventricular fibrillation, we have to defibrillate the client. So let's agree that, let, let's, let's agree that we were providing the client with, uh, with cardioversion. And mistakenly, we did not press the synchronizer. And we went and administered a shock to the client. And the client went into ventricular, uh, the client went into ventricular fibrillation. At that point in time, we have to immediately administer defibrillation. Stop all cardiac activities and allow the 8 node to initiate the heartbeat. I repeat. In the instant you want to provide the client with a synchronized, cardio, uh, with a synchronized counter shock. In the case of cardioversion wherein we're supposed to press the synchronizing button on the machine and mistakenly we did not press that button and we introduce the shock to the client's heart or to the client body the client is going to have immediate ventricular fibrillation which is which is a serious life-threatening condition so if that happens if that ever happens in our life or in the angels, class the first thing we'll do is to provide a client with, excuse me, to provide a client with defibrillation. So we'll come in and defibrillate the client because the treatment of choice for ventricular fibrillation is defibrillation. So we'll come in and provide the client with defibrillation to stop all cardiac activities and allow the S eight node to initiate the heartbeat. That's what happened in there. Now, um, we also will administer all the drugs we talk about those prescribed anti as rhythmic agent, um, we provide that for the client. And uh, like we talk about, like the amiodarone, the lidocaine, the epinephrine, yes, we can go ahead and provide those for the client. Uh, we also monitor the client for pulmonary symptoms. The client might have pulmonary embola after defibrillation or after the cardioversion. We monitor for that. And when there is a pulmonary embolism, meaning blood clot has dislodged from other body parts and is traveling or it has traveled toward the lungs, which is a medical emergency that the client would would, would need. Any question? So, pacemaker, (coughs) it is. it is what initiates the heartbeat. But we are looking at the artificial pacemaker a machine or an, a little equipment or a little metal that has a battery in it that helps to initiate heartbeat. Is what we are looking at. So, pacemaker is a battery operated device that stimulates the heart when the natural pacemaker. The, which is the sa node and others and, and uh, fail to maintain an acceptable rhythm. So once we have an abnormal rhythm in a heart and the heart cannot maintain a normal rhythm or normal pattern, then we want to start to look for an artificial pacemaker, which we are talking about here. Um, sometimes it could be permanent or it could be for just a short period of time, which we call temporary. So whether it's temporary or permanent, it has, very, it has two parts. So the pace maker has two parts. The pace maker has um, one, the pulse generator, the pulse generator, and it has the control center. Just, I guess it's not really important, but just know that it has two parts. Um, it has a battery um, that helps to generate impulses, which is the pulse generator, and it contains, like I said, the control center. Um, in this particular pacemaker, um, it, is, it, is, it has wires, like any other electrical appliance. It has a wire. That are attached to the myocardium of the of the heart muscle. So the wires has negative and positive charges that are attached to the heart muscles that releases power to the heart muscle to initiate heartbeat. That's just about the pacemaker. So nurses must be familiar with different kinds of pacemaker. There are different kinds of pacemaker that we need to understand. Um. We should understand how to care for a client of pacemaker. What are those procedures the client cannot do when the client has a pacemaker? We should also understand the conduction of electrical impulses with the heart normal or when the heart has pacemaker. Um, we have to understand. That's about it. But let's look at the pacemaker now. In the short-term pacemaker so we have basically we have short-term pacemaker we should call temporary pacemaker the temporary temporary pacemaker under here um, what is important here is the energy source is provided by an external battery pack so under here the energy source comes from outside so they have a battery that is outside that gets that provides the energy for this extent for this uh temporary people so meaning that it's just temporary so the battery is not in the heart muscle it is outside the heart it's just providing energy for short time after that we remove it and then the client goes home Now, we have um, two types. The external and the epicardial. It's not important to really go deep into that, but just want to understand that this one has um, has, uh, an external source of power. Then we have, the next one is the permanent pacemaker. Permanent pacemaker. In this permanent pacemaker, um, it contains an internal pacing unit, so this has an internal pacing. unit, Meaning the entire two parts we talk about, those two parts, including the machine, is everything is within the heart, is within the chest. It is not outside. That's why it means. So these are things I just want to, I just want to, just want to understand, understand here about the pacemaker. Now, in the pacemaker. Um, Let's look at the. This can diagnose when a client has uh, symptomatic bradycardia. The client will need a pacemaker. When a client has a complete heart block, they will need a pacemaker. When a client is having sick sinus syndrome, they will need a pacemaker. When, when there is a sinus arrest, when there is an asystole. Remember, we just said when a client has ventricular acystal or atrial acystal, the client would need a pacemaker. So, when a client has an assistor condition, they will need a pacemaker. When a client has atrial tachyarrhythmia, they will need a pacemaker. When a client has ventricular tachycardia, they will need a pacemaker. Now, we have to read under here keenly and understand what we're what, what, what we talking here. In the ankles, they will give a Vera EKG pattern and we we'll observe that the client is having acysto. And the English will ask us, what is the treatment for the acysto condition? So in such a condition, in acysto, the, um, the client will need a pacemaker. A pace so you will have the pacemaker there, you will have the medication there, and you will have other things, a cardioversion. In this case, the client will need a pacemaker when the client is having systolic condition. So the client will have dizziness, the client will be anxious, they will have fatigue. They will have breathing difficulties. They're going to have chest pains. They will have palpitation. These are symptoms they're going to have when they are having, uh, uh, this when they are, when they are in need of pacemaker. Um, what is important here is, um, when the client when the client is going to the procedure. Assess the client' knowledge about the procedure. How the client understands the procedure. The client has adequate understanding of the procedure. If the client does not have, you explain the procedure to the client. Um, it is if it is non-emergency, we do that. If it is emergency, you don't go through that. Um, tell the client about everything about the pacemaker. I, I want you to. to, to, to so just read about it and know the basic information about it. For the, after, the procedure, after the procedure, document the time and the date at which the pacemaker was inserted. You want to put in the model of the pacemaker, the setting, the rhythm strips, blood pressure, the vital signs. You want to monitor the client continuous heart rate compare the ekg rate or the ekg diagram to the pre-procedure diagram and report any abnormality to the doctor you want to also uh, provide the client with analgesia as prescribed you want to obtain an x-ray after the placement of the of the, of the pacemaker you need to do an x-ray to confirm the placement the location of the pneumothorax want to also obtain this chest x-ray to check why the client is having hemothorax pneumothorax or pleural effusion which at this point we should know what is pneumothorax what is hemothorax what is pleural effusion now we want to also understand the signs and symptoms of these complications of this procedure the hemothorax the pneumothorax Pure effusion, what the client is going to show when the client has pure effusion. These are things I want you to understand when going through the topic in this manner. Um, I also you want to monitor the incision site for bleeding or hematoma or infection after setting a monitor or after 48 hours. Um, you want to assess the client for hiccups, which can indicate that the generator is pacing the diagram. So if the client is having hiccups in this condition, the the generator is pacing in the di- in the diaphragm, which is not normal. So the client is having hiccups. You want to also maintain the client's safety. Um, you want to for the permanent pacemaker provide a client with identification cards, including the name of the manufacturer of the pacemaker, the number, the model number, the mode of function, and the battery lifespan. span these are things that go on the pacemaker on the client hand when the client having an identifier because you need to have this when you go around sometimes the client might fall off and the windows know how the client has a pacemaker or not these are things the client have to have this the bracelet on their arm so these are things you will look out for the client any question on the pacemaker coronary artery bypass graft now in these procedures they're going to come in the ankles a lot coronary artery bypass graft peripheral uh you look at you'll see all these things in the anklet and they'll ask the weirdest question about these things and most of this most of the question that they're going to ask about this procedure is about um nursing management a client who is undergoing coronary artery bypass graft what is the nurse's most important concern this has occurred what would the nurse do all of those answers you will find them under nursing management for these procedures in coronary artery bypass graft it is an invasive procedure we call it coronary artery bypass graft it is an invasive procedure that aims to restore vascularization of the myocardium. So, in this procedure, there will be a blockade in how blood flows within the heart blood distribution system. So, when we do the coronary artery bypass graft procedure, we are restoring the best medium, the best ways in which blood can be delivered to the heart myocardium um performed to bypass an obstruction in one or more of the coronary arteries why the coronary arteries the coronary arteries are those arteries that supply blood or, or that distribute blood to the heart itself the system the heart uses to provide blood to the body it is not the same system the heart will use to provide blood to itself. So the heart system that provides itself with blood circulation is what we call the coronary system. So when you are coronary, you are talking about the heart own system through which it supplies itself with blood. So when there is a blockade in this pathway, we need to do the procedure called coronary artery bypass graft to bypass those obstruction and keep on providing the heart with blood. If the heart is itself does not have blood, the heart cannot pump blood to any other body part. They are going to it's going to have a problem <clears throat> in short. Um, coronary artery bypass graph um, does not alter arteriosclerotic process but also improve the quality of life for clients who have painful artery heart disease The coronary artery BAPA graph is most effective when a client has sufficient ventricular function That is when a client has an ejection fraction rate above 50% The procedure will be very effective um, In coronary artery BAPA graph for older clients they will most likely experience a transient neurological uh, problem or changes. They will also experience some toxic effects from those cardiac medication that they will take or from some of those cardiac procedure when a client is having dysrhythmia or irregular heart pattern. They're going to experience these things. Um, so the client will do this procedure to restore some form of a regularity in blood transmission or blood distribution to the to the heart when there's a blockade. That's why we are doing the coronary artery bypass graft procedure. Um, if the client has more than 50% of a blockade within the heart, then the client will need um, stent placement or we cannot assess angioplastic or stenting of the heart. So in this case, um, the client will have persistent ischemia, meaning blood deprivation into the heart, or the client might have myocardial infarction. But this is how the heart goes into MI. If there's, there's a blockade and portion of the heart is not getting blood, meaning it is ischemic, this is this ischemia will create soul on the heart myocardium. And when the soul is healed, what happens? It leaves a scar on the heart myocardium. And that scar is what we call the infarct, which we call myocardial infarction. So there is a mark, there's a kilo, there's a soul mark, or there's a scar left on the heart due to obstruction that's going to cause ischemia of the heart that will lead to scar formation. And it is that scar tissue we call myocardial infarction in MRI. So um, the client will have these problems uh, following angiography, maybe during PCR or when there's a stent placement, the client will have these complications. When there's a heart failure, with they, they, they can be heart failure with shock when the client when the heart goes into a cardiogenic shock there can be heart which is heart failure um this might not be a reasonable a reasonable reason for the client needs for improvement in in their cardioversion. is